What does the Bible say about cremation? Is it a sin? It's the Cross Culture Q&A question after this week's Crosswalk. I believe God is going to shake His creation to its very core. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. You and I, just in the last few months, have seen some of the devastating consequences of one earthquake on one relatively small area of land. Earlier this year, the tiny island of Haiti was rocked by a massive earthquake. Hundreds of thousands were killed, and hundreds of millions of dollars in property was damaged. It happened in an instant, without any warning. Is it possible that there is an earthquake yet to come that will literally shake the entire earth? Can you imagine an earthquake on the level that's described here, a worldwide earthquake, what the devastation would look like? This will be a mega earthquake, unlike anything the world has ever seen or experienced before. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. The book of Revelation reveals three separate judgments that are coming on the earth during the Great Tribulation. They are revealed as seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. Today, in our year-long series entitled, The Revelation, Pastor Clay is going to walk us through the fifth and sixth seals found in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 17. As we've learned earlier in our study, the church has been taken out of the world prior to the judgment's beginning. Already in the first four seals, we've seen a world ravaged by the results of war and famine. Today, we're going to see even greater death and destruction as God's judgment on the world has a devastating result. We're glad you've joined us as the Revelation series continues. Revelation chapter 6, we're in the midst of some serious stuff uh, happening. Revelation chapter 6, we're beginning this morning in, uh, in verse 9, and then we'll fill in some background and that sort of thing. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the Word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer, until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And then the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the commanders, and the rich, and the strong, and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us 
from the presence of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Uh, Revelation uh, chapter 6, verses 9 through 17, as we just read, as you uh, could tell there, cover the fifth and sixth seals being opened. Um, just to remind you again, or if you weren't here uh, last week, we talked about the fact that there are three sets of judgments in the book of Revelation that are going to come upon uh, this earth. And the first set are, those se- are these seven seals, and then uh, be followed by seven trumpets, you'll see that, and seven uh, bowls. So these three sets of judgments will be coming. We've been walking through for the last few weeks the f- these first seven seals. We've, only, we've got the first four, and now we come to the fifth and the sixth seal. If you were with us last week when we talked about uh, those first uh, four seals and those opening, uh, you, you probably remember that we talked about the fact that they are sometimes referred to as the four writers of the apocalypse. These end time, and they're described as riders coming forth on these horses, this white horse, this, this black horse, this red horse, and this ashen horse, and each of them represents something or is something, uh, the white horse being the end... The rider being the Antichrist and, and also riding out is, is uh, death and, and, and famine and war and, and all these different things that, are, that accompany it. And that's all part of this, this ominous scene that's going to take place if the Bible is right. And, and I don't, uh, yeah, I, I do believe it's right. You understand what I'm saying? And I said last week, if that, those events described in those first four seals when they're broken, if those events occur in our lifetime, then that means roughly 1.7 billion people will die during these times of these four riders of the apocalypse, during really the early days of the tribulation period, this seven-year period of time that's going to come on the earth as God's judgment begins to fall on a world that has rejected him. 1.7 billion people just during that time. Some of the people during that time or mixed in there somewhere within that time, some of those people will be believers in Jesus Christ. Now, they weren't believers before the rapture of the church. We discussed that way back in chapter 4. They weren't believers prior to the snatching out of the church But after the church disappears, there will be people who will begin to come into relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, No doubt, there will be some sharing, and we'll see that when we get to the two witnesses and the 144,000 witnesses. We'll get get to all of that, and we'll see that in in the weeks ahead. And chapter 7 covers a lot of the people that will be coming into relationship with Jesus. But people will begin to come into relationship with Jesus. You know, maybe they've come across a copy of the scriptures. Maybe they maybe they wander in a video store and find an old copy of the Left Behind movie or something. I don't I don't know. But people will begin to come into a relationship with Jesus during that time. Many of them, if not most of them, will lose their life as a result. And and here's what it says in in verse nine. As a result, because because of the word of God. And because of the testimony which they had maintained. So in other words, at some point they came into to believe that, hey, you know what? This thing was right. Those, those crazy church people, they kept telling us this thing was right. 
And, and it, it is. They came to be believers. They came to believe that the, the account of Jesus coming to earth and, and dying for sins, dying on the cross, rising again. They, they came to believe that all of that was true. So they, 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 they are killed. They are put to death because of their belief in the word of God and because of their testimony. Because they will not back down from their belief that Jesus really is Messiah. We, we missed him, but I'm telling you, he's the one. And they come into relationship with him. Because of that, they begin to be persecuted. And the text says... John writes, and he says that, that, they, that when the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw, remember John's in a vision, and this vision is switched to heaven. Now he was on earth, it suddenly switches to heaven, and he says, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had given their lives. Um, this underneath the altar thing, what's, what's that all about? Well, according to Exodus chapter 29 and Leviticus chapter 4, when, when the priest offered a sacrifice for the sins of the people, uh, Exodus and Leviticus say that he was to take the blood of that animal that was sacrificed and he was to pour it out, those texts say, the Old Testament says, at the base of the altar of sacrifice. At the base, or in other words, under the altar is where that blood was poured out. So what John sees here is a picture of those during the tribulation period who come to faith in Jesus Christ. They will give their lives. They will shed their blood because they refuse to deny that Jesus is Christ. And, they, and because of that, they will glorify God by their sacrifice, the giving of their lives. And listen, it's not hard to see how something like this can happen. While the Antichrist, who quite honestly, basically, as this thing progresses, is a dictator. As the Antichrist comes to power, uh, he's a dictator. Now, a dictator may come to power through persuasive speech. He may come to power through promises that he makes. In this case, lots of promises of peace and, and unity. He may come to power in those ways, but a dictator keeps his power through intimidation, through violence. And so, uh, when, when he begins to solidify his position... He basically will claim that he's, hey, I'm the Savior y'all have been waiting for. I'm going to make everything right here on the earth. There will begin to be people that will, and we'll see this when we come to it, they will refuse to take what's known as the mark of the beast. You've heard that before. We'll talk about that. They will refuse to to follow this Antichrist. Why? Because they they found out the truth. No, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Messiah. We can't can't bow down to, to him. We can't take his mark. No, he's not, he's not Savior. Jesus is Savior. Well, as you can imagine, I'm not going to go over real well with the Antichrist. And he will order the execution of any of those who oppose him. So, here they are in verse 10. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Lord God, the souls of these who have died, they're there under the altar. That's the picture. And they're saying, God, when are you going to judge these people for what they did to us? Now, I've heard, read of some people that say, well, that's not right for them to do that. I mean, they really shouldn't be, you know, doing that. We're supposed to forgive our enemies. We're supposed to forgive those who, who wrong us. And they're just not doing right by that. Well, actually, they're quite biblical in, uh, in what they do. Uh, Look at this passage of uh, Scripture. Uh, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Now, I know those people don't like that, to connect God with wrath, but 
God doesn't seem to have a problem doing it. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And then in Colossians chapter 3, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Colossians chapter 3. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Don't you like that part? Listen, can I tell you that? I know we've got to move on and we're talking about end times and all that stuff, but we could stop there just a while and just talk about y'all's lives and just say, if, if we could get a hold of, of, of Romans twelve nineteen and Colossians 3 and other texts that, that basically what God is saying, hey, I got this. I got that. I know that person wronged you. I know that person said that about you. I know that person did that to you. I know this person is, has, has done this terrible thing to you. I know this and that. And I know you're caught up. You're still gripped in, in, in all that went on. You're still dealing with the anger and you're still dealing with the, the consequence and all this stuff. And God's saying, hey, I got this. If you'll just leave it to me, nobody gets away with anything. Well, like I said, we really don't have time to dwell there. We we need to go on. But there's a lot that we could learn just from that idea that, that God says, I'll handle this. So actually, what these saints under the altar are doing is quite biblical. All they're doing is asking God when he's going to do what he's already said he was going to do in his word. God, when are you going to judge them for what they've done? Surely the wicked aren't going to get away with this. And, um, and so the response comes back. In verse 11, giving them a white robe, symbolizing that they've been cleansed in the blood of Christ. And they were told that they should rest for a little while longer. Chronon micron in the original language. Just a short, brief period of time. Probably meaning just till the end of the tribulation period. Even though God's judgments begin to pour out, His ultimate eternal judgment doesn't come until the very end. For just a little while, you have to wait. Basically what God is saying is... Believe me, it's not going to be long. Now, and it won't be. By the time this happens, we're, we're into this thing. And as long, we know, once the clock started, if I'm right, once the rapture occurred, the peace treaty is signed between Israel and the Antichrist, it's just seven years from then. That's all that's left. And so he says, just a little while longer. That's how long you have to wait. And God says, and here's part of the reason you have to wait, because there's others that are going to give their lives, just like you did. There's others that are going to have to pay this price for believing in me during this terrible time of tribulation. Other people will be coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as I said earlier, most of them will give their life as a result of their faith in Jesus Christ. So what does the fifth seal say to us? Well, it says to us that there are many people who are going to come into a relationship with Christ during the tribulation period, but many of them will give their life in the tribulation period as a result of their faith in Jesus Christ. So many followers of Christ will die during the tribulation period. Now, we come to the sixth seal. Up to this point, up to the first four seals, and I said this last week if you were here, up to the first five seals, this is basically what man does to man. Now, don't get me wrong, within the economy of God, it's all part of God's God's judgment, his purposes as he's bringing this thing to fulfillment. But this is basically their decision to follow the Antichrist, the wars, the the famine that always comes with war, the disease, the death, uh, and even putting, executing uh, the believers in Jesus. All of this takes place at at man's hand. This is what man does to man when God is removed from the scene. All of that changes with the sixth seal. 
with the sixth seal, we begin to see God taking a more direct intervention. As a matter of fact, John Walvoord in his commentary on the book of Revelation says this, it does seem to indicate that beginning with the sixth seal, God is undertaking a direct intervention into human affairs. So what about the sixth seal? I mean, I read it a minute ago. We're going to look at it again, but there's some funky stuff going on in the sixth seal. What's it all about? What, What really is happening? Well, let me say this. There are some that uh, like to take a symbolic approach to the, to the sixth seal. Uh, and by that, I mean uh, they interpret the sixth seal, the, the earthquake and the, you know, the sun blotted out. And the moon. They, they take that as symbolically representing the political upheaval that will come upon the earth during this time. That there will be such a, a violent time of, of political upheaval and, and you know, war and all this stuff is going on. That that's what the sixth seal is representing, that it symbolically pictures that. Um, As I've said before, there is a good bit of symbolism in the the book of Revelation. There is uh, symbolism. And certainly there will be much political upheaval during that time as the Antichrist is, is, you know, kind of solidifying his power and taking over countries and and, uh, all that kind of stuff. Certainly there will be, be political upheaval and certainly there is symbolism within the book of Revelation. But unless there is clear evidence for symbolic interpretation of this or really any text in Scripture, Unless there is clear evidence or a very compelling reason to take something as symbolic, void of that, you and I should always take the literal interpretation of the text. We should always assume that the literal interpretation is correct unless, like I said, there is clear-cut evidence that, that this is symbolic. And there is some of that within the book of Revelation. I and other students of the Bible believe that what is described in chapter, chapter 6, verses 12 through 17, are literal events. This is literally what is going to happen to the earth and those on it during that time. And the first thing in this sixth seal that John mentions, and I looked as he opened the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. There was a great earthquake. Uh, a, a seismos megas. This will be a mega earthquake, unlike anything the world has ever seen or experienced before. You and I, just in the last few months, have seen some of the devastating consequences of one earthquake on one relatively small area of land, on the, on the tiny island of Haiti. I, in, uh, I looked up, I think, it, as of March 10th, so... Well over a month ago, as of March 10th, the official death toll on the island of Haiti was 250,000. That's the official death toll. They said unofficial numbers put it somewhere between 300,000 and half a million. Half a million people who died on one tiny little island, and really just one little part of that island. On, on, in the epicenter was there at Port-au-Prince in that area around there. Half a million, possibly as much as half a million people. Can you imagine an earthquake on the, on the level that's described here, a worldwide earthquake, what the devastation would, would look like? I believe God is going to shake his creation to its very core. Now, scientists for, for years have known this and have told us that there are these things called fault lines that run different places all over the earth. They're really under the surface of the earth. And, and I don't know... 
whether God is going to use those or not, I guess that, that makes sense. And it seems like it. But, but what I do know is, as I said, God's going to shake his creation. God's going to use his very creation to bring judgment on this, on this world system that has said, we don't need God. We can do without God. We can make, we can make our own place here. And God's wrath begins to, to be poured out on the earth. A great earthquake. And listen to what he says here now. John goes on and he says that accompanying this earthquake, he says, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair and the whole moon became like blood. Now, I remind you this. I've said this before. I remind you again. Anytime you see as, the word as or the word like in the book of Revelation, remember what John is doing is trying to describe to us what this looks like. He's not saying that the sun literally is turning into sackcloth, which was a a dense, heavy material of, of that day, a cloth. He's saying that that's the appearance of it. He's not saying that the moon is turning into blood. He's saying that it's like it's turned into blood, which, again, I'll leave this up to God, but that almost certainly seems to indicate that this, this earthquake or these earthquakes, however God does it, that it will be accompanied by volcanic eruptions as well. There'll be some sort of volcanic activity connected, which is not unusual to see earthquakes connected to, to volcanic activity. Was it just in the last week or two weeks? I lose track of time, but the, the volcano in Iceland that, uh, that blew its stack and uh, air travel in Europe has been grounded for how long was it tra- grounded? Like a week or something like that? All over Europe, they could, because, because this ash plume, this ash cloud that it threw so violently, so high up into the air that all the airplanes were, were grounded. I was reading about, there, were, there was an earthquake on the uh, island of Krakatau in the, uh, in the East Indies in 1883. The explosion, there was a volcanic eruption. I don't know if I said earthquake or what I said, but there was an, the, it was a volcanic eruption. The explosion was so powerful that it was heard 3,000 miles away in South America. Tidal waves traveled as far as Cape Horn, 7,000 miles away. In the, in the town of, of Bandu, which is about 150 miles from, from where the volcano exploded, there, there are recorded records of the people, witnesses, saying that the sun was blotted out, that's their words, the sun was blotted out and the moon appeared red because of the, the ash that was thrown into the air and the light filtered through uh, appeared red. This is a tremendous, devastating, awesome, awful scene. Again, imagine this on a worldwide level. And then, he's not even done yet. And I told you, it's not just, not just the earth. And the, verse 13, And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. Uh, again, I don't know. I'll, I'll leave that in the hands of God. But more than likely, I think that's probably a reference to meteors. We, do, we still do the same thing today. We see one go across the sky. We see there goes a shooting, what? Star. There goes a shooting star. More than likely, meteors that begin to... And I think, I could be wrong with this, but I think the reference to the unripe figs, uh, it's not yet soft and, and ready to eat. It's still hard. It's still green. I think it's a picture of these, these, these meteors that will begin to smash into the earth with apparently such frequency that John says it, 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 they're falling so fast that, that it almost appears as if the very sky itself is being ripped apart. Awesome. Awful scene. 
that's coming upon the earth as the sixth seal is torn open. Now you would think, I would think, that having, having witnessed all of this, this devastation and this carnage and this everything that's going on, you would think that those on the earth at that point would, would fall on their knees and cry out to God and say, God, save us. God, we're sorry for what we did. God, we're sorry because we didn't want to have anything to do with you. Oh, have mercy on us, God. I, I, that just seems like in the midst of all, that, if, this, if this all comes down the way it, John's describing it here, that's what I'd be doing. But they don't. Apparently very few do. Because he says, here's what they say. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man, listen to what they do. They hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Well, okay, I can understand that. Meteors falling, earthquakes and volcanoes busting up and all this kind of stuff. I'd be looking for a place to hide out too, I guess. But listen to what they say. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks. I'm telling you, I'm cry- I'd be crying out to God at this point. But no, they're calling out to the mountains and the rocks saying, Joel, just fall on us from the, so we can hide from the presence. Watch, hide from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now, isn't that interesting? No more trying to explain him away. No more saying, well, that's just some sort of natural phenomenon. No more, no more uh, trying to dismiss the power or the authority of God. They know this is God. Him who sits on the throne in the wrath of the Lamb. Lord Jesus. And in that moment, when I would, when all I, it seems like to me, all I would think is, God, have mercy on me. They're saying, oh, fall on his rock so we won't have to be in their presence at all. It will be a terrible, devastating time on the earth. You know, the Old Testament told us this was coming, really in numerous places, but in Joel chapter 2, Joel says, speaking for God, says, and I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 34 says this, And all the hosts of heaven will wear away and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts will also wither away as a leaf wither from the vine or as one withers from the fig tree. And God's been telling us of this awesome day that was to come. When his patience finally comes to an end and his judgment begins to be carried out on a world that has rejected him. So, I didn't give you much to fill in today. Maybe you've written something, but the BP squared, the big picture biblical principle today, and the fifth and sixth seal looks like this to me. Tribulation saints is what those who die during the tribulation period, what they're sometimes referred to as. Tribulation saints will pay a price for standing up for Jesus, and they will. Most of them will die. But everybody else will pay a greater price for standing against Jesus. They'll pay a greater price because the price they pay will be eternal. For those, for those saints in the tribulation period, for those who give their lives, or for you and I, perhaps, or, or, some other, or some believer on the other side of the earth that faces persecution, whether it's just being mocked or laughed at or rejected. I, I had to go get ice yesterday at the food line. We ran out of ice and I went to get ice, and I tried to give the young lady an iVite card, and she kind of smirked and said, no thanks. And she went on a little bit. She said, I just kind of like to do my, my own, own thing. Whatever it is, to even giving your life. Oh, there's a price. I've said this my whole life. 
since I started following you. There's a price to pay for following Jesus, and the tribulation saints will pay with their lives. Many of them will. But there is a greater price for those who reject God's plan of redemption that's through His Son, because that price is eternal. I love the quote I came across from Warren Wearsby that kind of sums this whole thing up. Warren Wearsby said this. He said, if men and women will not yield to the love of God and be changed by the grace of God, then there is no way for them to escape the wrath of God. I think I've said this every week for about the last three or four weeks. I'll, I'll say it again this week. You don't want to be here when this time comes. And you don't have to be. There's still a time. There's still an invitation being given. Not just what we do each week down here. There's still an open invitation. God is still saying, come unto me. Come and receive mercy and rest. Come and receive forgiveness and pardon. Because all of us, no matter what we've done in our lives, all of us are sinners. We've all come short of the mark. Every one of us need a Savior, and God has provided a way. And His name is Jesus. Right now, He's the redeeming Christ. But when He comes during this time, He is coming as a lamb in wrath, pouring out His judgment on this world. It's quite a scene, isn't it? Those who trust Christ during the tribulation period will come under severe persecution from the Antichrist, and many of them will be killed for their newfound faith. But God is faithful not to let the guilty go unpunished. And as we saw today, when the sixth seal is broken, well, as Pastor Clay has said many times, you don't want to be here. What a blessing it is to know for those who trust Christ, the future will be very different. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Now this week's Cross Culture Q&A. Well, uh, Q&A time this morning, and we're uh, asking a a Thank you. Uh, question. <laughs> uh, we're, we're asking a, a question that, um, that maybe, you know, maybe kind of morbid to, to some people. It may not be something that you'd like to think about, but somebody filled out a card on it. And so we're asking the question today, what does the Bible say about cremation? Is it a sin? Now, that may, that may strike you as, as say, well, what's it? But, but yeah, there... This, that's a difficult subject for some people. Um, and, 
years ago, there was just, I don't know, somewhere along the way, people just got this idea that, that cremation was something really bad and, and, and Christians shouldn't do it and everything else. So, so somebody said, what does the Bible say about uh, cremation? Well, the, the truth is the Bible doesn't say anything about it. It doesn't really say anything about uh, what you do with the body after death at all. Um, it does not put a, a prohibition or a restriction on cremation or anything else. Now, I will say this. It was not the practice uh, during biblical times. It was not the practice for people to be uh, cremated. People, uh, most people either put in uh, uh, tombs or caves or, you know, or buried. Some people were buried and stuff. Um, but just because it was the practice of that particular time doesn't mean that it's necessarily wrong to do it another way. Also, in biblical times, there, there were times when people uh, uh, practiced having multiple wives. And I, I, don't, I, don't think, uh, you know, I don't think we want to go down that road. Uh, so, uh, just because it was a practice at, at one time. The truth is, uh, the Bible doesn't prohibit cremation or anything else. We do know that uh, throughout history, historically, there have been people who have been... Um, killed, uh, again, I know that I actually didn't, wasn't thinking about this, we got the children in here, <laughs> um, lions, okay, do I have to say more, lions, um, burned at the stake, all different ways that people have given their life for the, for the cause of Christ, so um, the fact is, I, I think that God is quite fully capable of resurrecting a body, because that's one thing, I, well, but he's going to raise a body up, what happens if you, well, I'm pretty sure... Somebody that died a thousand years ago is pretty much dust by now. So I, I, God can do it. That's right. If, if God made the body, he can do it. So um, now here's what I would say. Here's what I close with. Um, not that, that that is a decision that each person should, could, should contemplate and think about and make sure their loved ones know and all that kind of stuff. But what I'd rather you focus on is not what you're going to do, uh, what, what you want done with your body when you're gone, but what you're doing with your body while you're here. Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul said, I beseech you, I implore you, therefore, brethren, brothers and sisters of Christ, because of the mercies of God to present your body a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable act of worship. As, as Pastor BJ has said many times, in here we come to worship the Lord, but this isn't just worship the Lord, it's to worship Him with our lives. That's our reasonable act of worship.